Hello and welcome to the Serpenton High School podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Sebastian. In today's episode, we go visit the politics department in the sixth form centre. It's a lunchtime. Most students are having their lunch or in clubs, but I've managed to get five politics students and their teacher together to talk us through the political events of their time. Stay with us. I'm here with Miss Jackson, Head of Politics. Hello. And with her entire Year 12 class. Hello. Hi. So today we're going to give you a flavour of what it's like to be in a, in a politics lesson. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what we'll be doing in this recording? Yeah, so we have talked a lot about Liz Truss and we use a lot of up-to-date examples in politics. So we are just going to chat through kind of the Liz Truss premiership um, and the students have all done a little bit of research on different aspects of her premiership that they are going to talk about. Of course, they, uh, this is such an up-to-the-minute subject that actually in the time it's taken to produce this podcast, Liz Truss has lost her premiership. She's lost her job, uh, which uh, has added a certain challenge to, uh, to putting this all together. But that just gives you an idea of, the, of uh, how up-to-the-minute politics A-level really can be. Yeah, so we originally had four students um, doing kind of what the up to the end of the mini budget and the problems with that. And uh, we then added a fifth student who kindly stepped up to have a look at why she eventually lost her job. That's great. OK, so let's get this discussion going. OK, so um, first question really is to Annabelle, um, who's looking at uh, how was Liz Truss elected uh, to be Conservative Party leader and what kind of problems did this create? So after Boris Johnson resigned, the Conservative Party needed to select a new leader over the summer. Um, anyone could put themselves forward, but they needed 20 other Conservative MPs to back them. And, oh, for the first ballot and for the second, needed 30. Um, the final three were Liz Truss, Rishi Sunak and Penny Mordaunt. So the 9-22 committee tried to narrow the, narrow the field. The last two were Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak, and the it was a really close margin of 57% and 43%. Problems with how she was elected was that it wasn't very representative of the general population, as only party members can vote, um, which is less than 0.1% of the, of the electorate. Um, it was also very divisive, so once the Prime Minister was elected, large, a large section of the party were against her. Furthermore, it shows there's no stability in the government, as it's the fourth Prime Minister in the last six years. Once, so once Liz Truss had been elected, she needs to set up her own cabinet. Um, so Molly, what did Liz Truss's cabinet look like? Was there anything particularly notable about her cabinet? So Liz Truss's cabinet was the most diverse cabinet in history with none of the big four roles being taken up by any white man. But despite this, it was a very right-wing cabinet. Liz Truss was actually pretty formally left-wing and was actually a teenage campaigner and member of the Liberal Democrat Party, but has since become quite far-right. Kwasi Kwarteng, the Chancellor, is also quite far-right and he was on University Challenge, which is a fun fact about him. James Cleverly, the, the Foreign Secretary, is also quite far right. And actually, Foreign Secretary is Liz Truss's former job before she became the Prime Minister. And Suella Bradman is also very far right, has quite strong views on immigration and is quite anti-immigration. Um, and she's Home Secretary. And then Ben Wallace is the Defence Secretary. And this is a job he's had since Boris Johnson being Prime Minister. Um, and he's the only person to stay in the same position from Boris Johnson's cabinet. Therese Coffey, who is Liz Truss's best friend, is a Deputy Prime Minister and Health Secretary, and they hold karaoke nights together, so that's quite a fun fact about them. <laughs> Nadim Zahawi is what was the Chancellor of the Duchy Lancaster. He was Boris Johnson's Chancellor of the Exchequer um, after Rishi Sunak quit in July, but he obviously didn't have that role for very long. And they have policies like capping the energy bill, energy bills for two years and continuing on a strong support for Ukraine. And they also very strongly believe in deporting um, illegal immigrants to Rwanda. 
Uh, ask a follow-up question. Um, you say it's quite a far-right cabinet. In in the grand scheme of things being far-right, it, it's, it's not that far-right. Yeah. Can you just sort of contextualise for us what we mean by, by, by right-wing uh, with uh, this party and with this cabinet? So obviously the UK does have quite, they are quite centre. They're not on any kind of like political extreme. But in terms of like in comparison to other parties, they're quite they're further right than Boris Johnson's cabinet were and they're further right than a lot of recent previous cabinets that we've had in terms of like a lot of issues like they are far more anti-immigration than a lot of other cabinets they are far more in favor of like less taxes which is another big conservative right-wing view which hasn't been as strongly upheld with other recent cabinets. She also put in a lot of people that had previously supported her and not as many people that seem to be have opposing opinions to her, which could be a criticism of her. Lily, Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng announced a mini-budget soon after they took over. What sort of things were included in this mini-budget? Yeah, so obviously they introduced this mini-budget because um, since COVID and the war in Ukraine, the UK's economy was kind of seen as taking a hit. So they produced this mini-budget, or this growth plan, as it was also called, to um, boost economic growth primarily through tax cuts. So they wanted to uh, completely cut the 45% additional rate um, income tax for those earning more than £150,000. Um, but the 40% higher rate charge on incomes um, would be above £50,271. And they wanted to introduce in April 2023 a cut in the basic rate of income tax from 20% to 19%. Um, they also announced that the bankers' bonus cuts would um, be completely scrapped to reaffirm or maintain the UK as a leading financial centre. They also aimed to prevent the rise of business cuts to 25%, but they decided to backtrack on this and are instead keeping it at 19% so that they can ensure economic growth. Uh, they created almost 40 investment zones, um, including tax breaks for many businesses, and stamp duty was cut in, uh, for buyers in England and Northern Ireland. Does anyone know the rationale behind these uh, tax cuts? Well, there's a big thing within conservatism that they believe that tax cuts are quite a big thing. Also, trickle-down economics, I think, was a big thing. That they had Their whole theory is that if you have people at the top making more money, they'll be able to put it back into the economy, which would mean that people at the bottom would also be benefiting from that. The problem with trickle-down economics is that it focuses too much on this like perfected idea where this reality is constructed that companies care about um, their workers and the top earners care about the people who are in lower class brackets to them. There's a lot that's been written about why it is bad in terms of like everything you've just said, like how can you actually trust that people will then allow this money to trickle down and not just take it for themselves as a bonus. Uh, but their rationale for using it, um, or at least what they what Kwasi Kwarteng said, was we've tried other things and the only other alternative is austerity. And we've done austerity for 12 years. Um, this at least is something radical and it's something new. I mean, it, the government has immediately backtracked on this, but that was their rationale. It was like, this is a this is a bolt. What's the phrase she used? Move fast and break things. Like that was her that was her plan. Um, uh, the, of like I will come in. I'm going to shake things up. I'm going to do things. And that, boy, those were some fun 44 days. <laughs> I think the 
there, there was also, and we discussed in class, the difference between this idea of trickle-down economics, which doesn't have a huge amount of support um, and has, I think has been quite criticised, particularly by the Labour Party, but also the idea of growth. And all political parties want growth. Um, and the idea of the pie and the share of the pie. And if you grow the pie, then everyone gets a bigger share. And I think there was that... The, when you label it trickle-down economics, there's often the idea that, therefore, that's what you're criticising. And if you label it growth, you can then support it. And so I think terminology often around it um, can be quite important as to listening as to whether people think it was a good idea or not. And those who were more critical, it obviously didn't work, would use trickle-down trickle economics. Those who were more in favour would use the idea of growing the economy and, and growing the pie. So, Pearl, what were the immediate and then slightly more medium-term responses to uh, Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng announcing the mini-budget? So, the initial public response, it was just very largely negative. I think a lot of people couldn't quite rationalise the mini-budget. Um, and then looking at the markets, the markets had a completely negative reaction to this. We saw lenders begin to pull mortgages that were in process, predicted interest rates were at all-time highs, which was no good for the new generation of people coming into the housing market. Um, Labour had a particularly positive um, polling in result to this, so they went up 33 points in the lead, which is the best Labour has ever seen since the 1990s. Um, they also had a very successful Labour conference off the back of this with Keir Starmer saying that it was Liz Truss personally who had caused the higher interest rates and higher inflation and higher borrowing. And he told the public, and this is a quote, don't forgive and don't forget, which is very strong words coming from the Labour Party. Um, the pound dropped to an all-time low against the dollar at £1.1407. It has risen and rebounded, but as a reaction to the pound dropping, the Bank of England set aside £65 billion to help with pensions, and this has fondly been dubbed as bailout money, which kind of shows the faith that people had in Liz Truss's economics. Um, uh, even Conservative MPs spoke out against the mini-budget, so Michael Gove, who's a very well-respected figure in the Conservative Party, um, was quoted as saying that cutting tax for the wealthiest is a display of wrong values. So it's not going well for Liz at this point. Since then, they backtracked on the 45p tax rate, claiming it had become a distraction. Um, in her conference speech, she said that she had listened to the public. She said, I get it, um, and addressing the nation um, to try and pull back some of that support. Nadine Doris, who was a minister under Boris, also criticised uh, Liz and said that the lurch to the right uh, would be dangerous if it was not reversed. Um, so she's got a lot of problems going into her conference, Liz. Um, she needs to unite her party, many of which are against her. She needs to address the U-turn and she needs to put down Labour. We don't see a lot from her um, conservative speech. It had been scrutinised as a safety speech with not a lot of radical points um, to kind of save face after her really disastrous few weeks. The thing that I noticed was her use of the word anti-growth coalition, which kind of links back to what Mrs Jackson was saying. Um, she said that the anti-growth coalition included 
Labour supporters, Lib Dem supporters, the SNP, militant unions, ex extinction rebellions, even podcast listeners. So it kind of seems that the um, anti-growth coalition was a term that she conned to create an uh, enemy that the Conservative Party could unite against. And it kind of seemed to be anyone who didn't agree with her plans. So it's all not going particularly well. There's a lot of negative backlash. She didn't quite recover um, during the Conservative Party conference. Um, Emily, what happened after that um, and what led to, to Liz Truss's eventual loss of her job? Yeah, so I think it's safe to say that she never actually really recovered from obviously the mini-budget, um, which her and the Chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng, both put together. Um, I think she did as a result of this, she did sack the Chancellor after three weeks. Obviously his downfall was set in motion by the mini-budget, um, which was obviously, as Pearl said, very controversial. He promised to cut taxes for highest earners and biggest corporations with no plans on how to pay for it. So Truss was basically forced to sack him because not only of public pressure, but also the economic chaos which was created. Obviously the pound going to the record low against the dollar. Um, it also sent the cost of government borrowing and mortgages rates up, led to an unprecedented interve intervention by the Bank of England. So following the sacking of the Chancellor, um, he was replaced by Jeremy Hunt, who confirmed that most remaining mini-budget proposals have also been scrapped, saying that the basic rate of income would now indefinitely stay at 20p until economic conditions allowed a reduction. So after this, um, just a few days later, um, the Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, also resigned um, after a technical breach. She had sent confidential work emails to her personal phone. Um, however, in her resignation letter, she did make it very clear that she was unhappy with the direction of Truss's government. So I think that losing two of Britain's four great offices of state in less than a week proved to the public that there were some weaknesses in the party that hadn't really been addressed or um, hadn't been you know, improved since the um, mini-budget was set in motion. So I think this all contributed to the fall of, of Liz Truss. Um, as the pound's uh, valuation continued to decrease and inflation, already at record highs, raised the cost of living further, um, shredding the Tories' party reputation for fiscal responsibility. Um, also, some working-class voters who were drawn to the Tories by their embrace of Brexit were turned off by a renewed sense that the party represented only the interests of financial elites. So, after 44 days in office, Liz Truss resigned and was later replaced by Rishi Sunak. Great, thank you very much. Do you have, does anyone have a kind of key slant they think on why, what was it that cost Liz Truss her job ultimately? I think um, it was the mini budget, which is a result of her politics, but the mini budget was a very clear statement to the public that perhaps her cabinet didn't have the majority of people in mind and that perhaps her politics weren't going to reflect well or reflect the majority of people at all. Thank you so much for having me here uh, for this uh, for this recording. Remind me exactly how many weeks have you been studying politics? Eight. Eight weeks. That's it's incredible to see how switched on you are. Why did you pick politics? I'm presuming you were already following the news quite a lot already. You didn't start the course and find out. Oh, there's a leadership election. Um, why did you pick politics? Um, I think for politics A level, it's really important to obviously have a passion um, about the subject, seeing as all of the examples do have to be extremely up to date. 
Um, we Most of us did have to change a few things on our slide before this um, podcast. But I personally had um, a really big interest in watching the news at night, reading the papers. And I just think like, studying that subject at school, when you have a genuine interest in it, is really good and it's really good fun. Yeah. Is it your favourite lesson? Yeah, <laughs> it actually is, because the, it's just full of discussion and it's not a lesson where you're bogged down by notes and homework and long essays. Well, there are long essays, but you're not bogged down by them, <laughs> because the it's full of discussion and I think it's one of those really rare and amazing subjects where you can really use your own personal opinion and your own personal knowledge to gain and further yourself. And I also think it's a very good subject in general for just moving on to higher education or living a very knowledgeable life. Because when you're up to date and you can engage in discussions and you know how to put forward an argument or your own personal opinion, I think it really betters you. Has it changed the way you engage with news media? Like, did you used to follow one thing and now you look at something else? Or does anybody now look at a range rather than just a single text? Who, who's nodding? I very much still have my stance on politics, but it kind of taught me to kind of weigh up the arguments and the sides from like both wings and to consume more than one type of media to kind of further your point or your argument that you're trying to make. Mrs Jackson, why should a student pick politics A-level? So as the students already said, it is really good fun. We actually really enjoy our lessons. We have a lot of debate and discussion, um, and I think everyone kind of brings something to the table, um, which is good. But I think there is sometimes a perspective of new A-levels. Are they as academically rigorous as others? And I think politics is just as academically rigorous um, as all the other subjects. So the skills that the students end up with are such good skills for what they want to go on and do at university or later in life. As Pearl said, constructing an argument and being able to use evidence to support your point and be able to recognise both sides. So I think... The enjoyment is really great, but also the skills that you come out with are really important. Yeah, I'd always say it pairs really nicely with economics. Well, then we've broadened their economic knowledge with their, their research into the mini budget. So yeah. I think everyone now knows a bit more economics through their politics. Thank you very much, Mrs. Jackson. Thank you. And thank you, Year 12. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> thank you for joining us. Our show today was produced in-house at Surbiton High School. If there's a topic you'd like covered on the show, you can email us at podcast at surbitonhigh.com. The Surbiton High School podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I've been your host, Anthony Sebastian. Thank you for listening, and goodbye.